0: Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiaga Prem Singh. I just had the great honor of teaching at 3HO Men's Camp in Miracle Valley, British Columbia, Canada, uh, alongside some incredible teachers, Guru Singh, Tommy Rosen, uh, Guru Ganesha, amongst many others. Uh, It was a great experience. And if you ever get the opportunity to check out that men's camp, Uh, I highly recommend it. It's been a great source of inspiration in my life and it was an honor to be on the teaching faculty this year and I look forward to teaching there uh, in many more years to come. Uh, I promised the students who were in attendance at um, the camp that I would place uh, not only the discourse from this particular class on Revealing the Diamond, but I would also include uh, the entire class, which includes a meditation that I find to be incredibly profound. Um, if for some reason you're listening to the to the meditation, you think I have no idea how to do this or what they're doing, you can always send me a message at tiagaprem at thedarmatemple.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at tiagaprem. If you're a big fan of Revealing the Diamond, uh, please share it with friends, share it on your social media platforms, share it with your family, share it with your yoga students, uh, share it with whoever, that's a great way to support it. You can also rate and review the podcast uh, on whatever platform you listen to on the podcast. If you have a podcast and you'd like me to appear on it, I'm more than uh, happy to do so. Um, or if you just have questions about topics that we cover or a suggestion, uh, you can always get to me at Tiaga at the Dharmal, Dharmal, not the Dharmal Temple, but the Dharma Temple. That's D-H-A-R-M-A, temple, T-E-M-P-L-E.com. So this is a pretty potent um, class. I'm excited to share it with you. Um... Yeah, check it out. Enjoy it. it. It it it's such an honor to be able to share these teachings. This was my first time teaching a class with my mentor Guru Singh in the room, so that was a first for me, and I think it went really well. You'll also probably be able to hear the sounds of Kelby, who's my uh, wingman when it comes to offering sounds at the Dharma Temple and on the road. He's an amazing. Uh, person and musician and teacher. So without further ado, let's uh, let's check it out. Let's get deep into this uh, class and lecture, and I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Sat Nam.
1: And then place the hands in prayer at the heart center. Inhale deeply. Exhale. Inhale to tune in. Om Na
2: You got good sad good a name, city good a Guru DE NAME NAME Inhale. And exhale.
1: Satnam. nam for, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tiagra Prem Singh. And this is uh, Kelby. He's an incredible musician. And at our uh, yoga center in Vancouver called Dharma Temple we teach together he creates the soundscape and i am a mouth for hire you understand so what we'll do is we'll have a discourse at the start and then we'll do pre-cosmic meditation at the end sound good all right so let's do a short partner exercise i want you to get with somebody nearby you you can go in two or three And I want you to talk about two things. One, what is Dharma and what does it mean to you? And two, come up with a definition for success. We'll just take three minutes. So, one is what is Dharma and what does it mean to you? And two is come up with a definition for success. Go, just three minutes. I'll give you some time anyways. You ready? I mean, you'll have time on talking anyways if you need to. About a minute and a half left. thirty seconds inhale inhale and exhale and thank your partner and you can come back to your seat so before we start the topic today is going to be about Dharma but before we start what is Dharma Shout it out. I mean, you know, I'm sure you don't have paragraph long answers. And if you do, what is it? Yeah, cool. Path of service. What else? Life assignment. Life assignment. Love it. What else? Your meta pattern, consciousness. Nice. Destiny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, cool. And what about definition for success? Anybody want to put up their hand, get a couple? Yes. Against the pole. Uh, fulfilling your highest, fullest, and deepest purpose. Nice, I love it. Two more, in the corner. Daily practice. Daily practice, I love it. One more. Following true dharma. Hey, they go together, right? Yeah. He knows where I'm going with this.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wise. What. Wise man, yeah. All right, so if I was to narrow down, I like to take things and narrow them down like a sutra. You know, you take a big concept and narrow it down to the smallest, most potent version, like a concentrated version of it. And I think the most concentrated uh, way to describe Dharma is BU. That's in alignment with Yogi Bhajan. And I mean capital YU, the big YU. That's Dharma, you know. And success. The best definition of success I've come up with so far is success is the ability to be the most relaxed person in the room, no matter what. That's success. Doesn't matter if you're sitting in front of the President of the United States, you're relaxed, you're you. You may have to be direct, you know, but you're you. My goal today and our goal today is to share some practices to support you being you. And also to make some sense of this technology, which is incredibly transformative, and also some aspects of it seem strange to people. And I get that. That's my goal. And where we'll start with my dharma is with this statement. I didn't choose this path. It chose me. You heard that before, probably. You know, I left home as a 15-year-old kid. I was in all kinds of trouble, addiction, uh, trouble with the law. And for some reason, while all that was happening, I got introduced to meditation. And my whole life, I've been wrapped up in a realm of deep challenge and trouble and music and good times and meditation. I've been connected to both. I always say, most of my life, I've had one foot in the ashram and one foot in the nightclub, which is a hard life to live. You know, it's hard to live both of those, and I've spent a lot of time, time trying to be one or the other. You know, that's part of my dharma. You know what I'm saying? Anyhow, I began practicing, 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 and I was able to get it together enough that I could go to university and get a degree in comparative religion and practice religion while spending a lot of time, you know, DJing and getting involved in the nightlife. I was able to do both. And I shared in the men's circle yesterday about Alan Watts. And who's heard of Alan Watts? Yeah, beautiful. I always say Alan Watts has been a blessing and a curse in my life. The blessing is he's been an incredible teacher. The curse is for most of my life, I couldn't stop drinking alcohol because I had always thought if Alan Watts can be completely drunk sharing a Dharma talk, so can I, you know? Sometimes he would have put two people really close like Kelby would be right close on this side Somebody else be right close on this side with a glass of vodka behind him and the people were close So he went slumped to the side But that's a hard life to live especially when you become a parent Especially when you are a leader in a community, you know, and the pressure became really intense for me You know while I was keeping up with my practice on both ends and It got so intense that I had to put a stop to that uh, end of it. And that's when I met Guru Singh. My wife was putting a lot of pressure on me to go to Kundalini Yoga. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to Kundalini Yoga, come on. I got my practice, I got my thing, you know, I'm not going. And I would, just to make her happy, I would go to Hari Singh's class at Yoga West. Like we had a yoga center and everything while this is happening, you know. And I would go, just to make her happy, to see Hari Singh on Wednesday morning. Because I liked the guy who made me laugh, and it was, you know, she made her happy, it's a win-win. And, and then Guru Singh was coming for, to teach a class, and I had a friend, he used to be the personal chef to Mike D. from the Beastie Boys, who's also an incredible yogi, and he, he would always say to me over the years, he goes, you gotta meet this guy Guru Singh, man, you're gonna love him. And I was like, okay, if he ever comes, I'll go. And so turns out he was coming to town. And I went. And I had even been, you know, having some beers with some friends before and we're going to go and check out this guy Guru Singh. <laughs> True story, right? So we go and see Guru Singh and I was amazed and I was watching him and, and I was thinking to myself the whole time, I could do that. Not like, I could do that better than him, but I could see myself in him, even with the buzz from the barbecue beers, you know? And I was mesmerized. I couldn't even tell you what we did that day, but I could tell you that I was like, something inside of me was saying, you could do that, you know? And so I, I reached out to him and I asked him if he would work together one-on-one with me, and he said yes. and. We've been working together ever since, and it's been an incredible experience. Now, the interesting thing about that story is, unbeknownst to me, at the time, my wife is also there and my sister is also there. And my wife leans over to my sister and she goes, this man is going to save our family, unbeknownst to me. you know. And now looking back, it's like, if I would have carried on that path, she would have been long gone. You know, she would have been long gone. But I didn't choose this, it chose me, you know. Fast forward to some time later, and some friends of ours, we went to do the 84 steps in Gwendoval. Have you heard of this? You go down into this well in Gwendoval, 84 steps down, you dip in the water, you step on the first step, you recite Japji, like the prayer that we say every morning in the sadhana. Then you go back in the well, and then the second step, you recite Japji. Back in the well, third step, recite Japji. And you do this 84 times. And I knew that was going to be hard, and it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. You know. (laughs) You think doing a 62-minute meditation is hard? That's nothing, man. You know, it was really intense. But while we were doing this 84 steps, for whatever reason, the pori, no power, this no power pori was coming through clear. I said that prayer every day for four years, didn't miss a day. And for that pori never stood out before. Never, never, never. And on the stairs while I'm, you know, 13 and a half hours in some weird day state, that's the only one that's coming through clear. You know? And the night before we had gone to Gwyndiwal to do this pilgrimage, we were sitting along the nectar tank at the Golden Temple. And I looked down and just carved into the marble was the number 33. I thought, that's kind of interesting. Then we finished the steps. I said to my friend uh, Bobby Bajansing, some of you guys know him. I go, what puri is the Akhenajor one in a dazed state? Like, I've done a lot of psychedelic drugs in my life. And I'll tell you, at the end of those steps is the same feeling as, like, coming off of acid. It's wild. You know, it's amazing. So if you're a tripper and you want to leave the drugs behind, man, just go to Guindaval. And the best thing about that is that's still unpacking, you know. It's not a one-time thing and then that's the end of it. It's still unpacking. Then when I recover from this trip, you know, we go for breakfast with the boys to talk about the experience, and they put the number on the table for the waitress to bring the food. What number? 33. 33. You have no power. It's coming through you. you know, That's the, what the teaching is, that you don't have the power to be spiritual. You don't have the power to force meditation and intuition. It comes through you. All you have to do is get out of the way. You know? And this is coming through clear in the experience. Then we go to Yogi Bhajan's house in Anand Sag and we get there late at night. It's uh, Vaisakhi. So we're in a convoy of... Uh, Guru Singh called them Punjabi limousines. So tractors pulling trailers with, like, 40 sings on the back with massive sound systems. It took us three hours to drive 26 kilometers, you know? So we finally arrive, And they want you to stop for longer every, like, you know... 10 kilometers, <laughs> because it's Visaki, right? So we get there, it's nighttime, we go to Yogi Bhajan's house, we go to sleep. We don't even get to see the land because it's dark. The next morning we wake up and we walk up to the outdoor kitchen to have breakfast. And Siri Brosa, who was Yogi Bhajan's nurse, is caretaking the land. She comes up to say hello to us. And she really simply like introduces herself and we're all like, oh, hi. And then she breaks into like a full discourse about Akhenajor, Chupanajor. Like, you know what Guru Nanak said? You don't have any power. And we're all looking at each other like, Yeah, she's right. It's true. Like, how did she do that? You know? And the more time I spend doing the sadhana, the more I realize that it's, I don't have any power. It's a destiny. And it's amazing. And every single person has one. And it says in the teachings that your destiny is written on the inside of your forehead. And in order for you to get really clear on what that destiny is, there are two important things you have to do. One is listen deeply, get quiet enough to pay attention. That's what your morning sadhana is about. And the other is you bow your head. And as Western people, we don't want to bow our head. Nobody tells me what to do. You know, the first time you see people coming and bowing to the guru Sahib, you go, "That's weird. I ain't doing that." But the interesting thing is, is as a human being, you're bowing all the time. You know, there are people bowing right now to the uh, New England Patriots. There are people bowing to man. I was bowing to drugs and alcohol. But when you start to have, like, put your hand up if you've had some kind of profound effect with the mantras in kundalini yoga. Everybody, pretty much. You know, you wouldn't be able to stay here if you didn't, you know. When you bow your head at a place like this, you're just saying thank you for that experience. You don't have to join a religion or something like that. It's taken me a long time to understand that. I noticed in India too, when people bow, they're not bowing because they're a part of a religion. It's almost like gathering energy. You know, you had a profound experience with the sound current that came out of that book. You, when you bow, you gather more of that energy. Like a video game, you know, you go to all the stops. When we were in India, we saw this guy who had the 786 tattooed on his neck, the names of Allah and the Quran. And then he had the Tilak of the Hindu on his forehead and he was in the Gurdwara bowing. And I was like, this guy knows something, (laughs) you know. That's what it's about. Yogi Bhajan had it very clear when he said, if you can't see God in all, you can't see God at all. If you don't want to bow to something, there's something there that's saying, don't do this. Instead of running from that, I would explore it, you know. What's What's the quote? Can you stand up, Jeremy, and tell everybody the quote that Guru Singh said to you about being fearless?
0: I was on retreat with Guru Singh, and I heard him speaking to a student who was asking, what is my yoga practice? I don't know what kind of yoga I am, what kind of yogi I am, what I should be studying. And Guru Singh listened for a moment, as he does, with his eyes closed, someone else was talking. And he leans in and he says, I advise you to serve the parts of yourself that are not yet fearless.
1: You understand that? The parts of you that are not yet fearless. If you're afraid of something, if something is like, oh, I'm not sure about that, I would lean into it, not run from it, you know? And that's been my, that's been every time I look back when I've had the guts to do that, I look back and say, wow, man, I'm so thankful that I did that, you know? Because I think during this time in the climate that we live in, it's very important that you look at what you are instead of what you're not. You understand? Because we have a tendency towards the negativity in the mind. It takes extra effort to stay in the positive space of how am I a part of this, rather than how am I not this? You understand? It's like the mind, it's like Velcro and Teflon. Velcro is the negative part. And then the Teflon is the positive part. Things just slide off. Like let's say after this class, Matab came up to me and he said, worst class I've ever been to in my life. I would hold on to that probably for like 10 years. i would be like, dude, remember that guy at men's camp who was like, you know, isn't it true? (laughs) Yeah, right. I know you will. All right. But that will stick, you know. And I got people who come up all the time who say, your teachings changed my life. And in the moment, I'm like, oh man, You know, it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I forgot it by tomorrow. I did. Maybe three days. But the negatives you hold on to, what does that mean? It means you've got to do extra work to stay connected to that expansiveness, that positivity. Because the negativity, that's the easy path. You know, how am I like this? You want to make a difference in the world? You know? I am a Christian, I am a Muslim, I am, because you've been all those things. Like, you know, somebody was mentioning, I think maybe it was Guru saying about Yogi Bhajan saying, it doesn't matter if you believe in reincarnation, it happens anyway. You've been all of those things. You wouldn't be able to sit in this room if you hadn't been all of them, you know? You've been all spiritual paths. You've been a man, you've been a woman, you've been transgender, you've been a homosexual, you've been a thief, you've been a saint. You've had to have been all of those things for you to be where you are today. So why look for what you're not? Look for what you are. That is a process of listening and destiny will come through that because you make yourself open. And if we say that destiny is coming, that's what I love about yoga philosophy and these teachings. Destiny is coming through no matter what. It's like you get in a car, like the Tesla has the auto summon. It's not legal yet, but it can drive itself. It's kind of like that with destiny. Like you could get in the car and try and drive, say your destiny is to drive west. It's a simple analogy, but say your destiny is to drive west and you get in the car and you do everything in your power to drive east. That thing is going to reroute west over and over and over, but it's going to be super frustrating and eventually you're going to go, F it, I'm going to just drive west. That's the openness. Is that making sense? You keep the door open. Wouldn't you rather keep the door open so that the destiny can rush through rather than just keep it open a crack and it just fizzles in? You know, and that's what sadhana is for. Make yourself open so that your destiny can come through you. Practice deep listening beyond the surface of listening so you're so open that your destiny can come through you. And the other part about destiny is, this is an interesting one and I hope it lands for some of you, it's been really important to me is, you may not get to choose how you heal. You may not get to choose how you heal. That may be associated with your destiny. I didn't choose this, you know. If you would have asked me five years ago if I would have been sitting in a camp wearing a turban and a beard, I would have laughed in your face. This is a reality, you know. I didn't choose this. However, I've had a meditation practice long enough to go, I'm open. And I started praying like that, you know. Two ways. My first meditation teacher, he said, pray like this. Forgive me for forgetting you. That's it. I love that prayer, you know. Or pray like this, you know. God, whatever it is, or you know, Supreme Self, or whatever it is, you know, place me where you want me to be. That's openness. And then you cultivate practices in your life that support that. And you start to look at things for the energetic return, rather than whether you like it or you don't like it in the realm of duality. What is the energetic return of this action I'm about to take? For example, if I just get up in the morning and drink a cup of coffee, what is the energetic return? I'd probably feel good for 45 minutes. But if I get up in the morning and spend some time in the sound current, I take a cold shower, I do some yoga and meditation, I do my morning prayers, I sit with my wife silently and drink tea, that's a a beautiful practice that requires no belief system whatsoever. Just sit quietly and drink tea. That's a beautiful meditation. If I do that, the energetic return on that, it will last till about 3 p.m. That's the energetic return. It's not good or bad. It's not coffee's bad and sadhana's good. You start viewing things through what is the energetic return of this. And then you carry yourself in that way and it will align with Dharma. You eat the foods that are going to give you the energetic return that is more vast and expansive. You know, or if I get home from work after a long day, I mean, I don't really work that hard. I basically sit cross-legged for a living, but I'm tired sometimes when I get home. And say my daughter gets home from school and she wants to go to the park and throw the Frisbee, and I just wanna lay on the couch and watch Netflix. Nothing wrong with Netflix, you know, it's a neutral thing. But what is the energetic return of both? If I just lay there on the couch, it's hardly any energetic return. If I pry myself off the couch and go out and play with her, you know, that energetic return is going to last for years. One's not good or bad. Just looking at things through the terms of energy. And that's going to support you. The more you choose that long-term release, the more connected you'll be to you. The more relaxed you'll be in any situation because you carry yourself as you. And then, you know, there are times when you just lay and watch Netflix. We'll have a good energetic return. You know, when you leave a place like this, you think, when I get home from men's camp, I'm going to continue doing three hours of sadhana, and I'm going to fast every day, and my wife is going to be so in love with me, and the heavens will part, and everything will be perfect. But the reality is, you've had this deep spiritual experience. Get ready for the opposite. It's coming. coming. That's my experience. You know. I have to take a little bit of space when I get back from something like this so that I can manage the shit storm that is inevitably coming. But I go to things like this so that I can face any storm as the most relaxed person in the room. You know. Because you gotta put a bigger log in the fire. This is a bigger log in the fire. Your daily sadhana is just like tossing the kindling in. These are the big logs that will burn. Those 84 steps, that's putting big trees in the fire. And you got to keep up, or it's going to fizzle out. But it will always get brighter again, it's guaranteed. Because your destiny is coming through no matter what. That's the reality. That's the reality. And if part of your resistance to some of the things you see here at the camp is about being rebellious, I get it. I'm the most punk rock person that you'll ever meet. I was born a rebel. If my parents said, don't do this, I did it. If my parents said, do this, I didn't do it. It's like in my nature to do that. So I understand being rebellious. But you can learn to use that rebellion in an effective way. You know, instead of being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious, learn to channel it. You know, Guru Singh is always saying to me, we're going to have to ruffle some feathers here. Because in this world that we live in now, we are the hurricanes and the earthquakes. And the stagnation is going to hate us. That's what he said to me. That's great advice. That's a rebellious way of being, but it's not just for the sake of being rebellious. It's the status quo is not okay with me. Is that making sense? You know, and that's what I love about Guru Nanak. That's why I've got Guru Nanak tattooed on my wrist. These are my guardian angels. This is Guru Nanak, the first Guru of the Sikhs. This is Lemmy, the singer from Motorhead. And I've got them on both wrists to remind me not to go too far in either direction. When I start going this way, it's like, "Whoop, Nanak, help me out, man. And when I start going this way, getting a little dogmatic, I'm like, dear Saint Lemmy, our dark Lord, bring me back to center. But what I love about Nanak, I heard this story, and it's one of my favorite stories, when somebody said to him, What religion are you? And he said, What religion is the earth? And they said, Yeah, yeah, that's cute, but come on, like, what caste are you? Like in India, the caste system? He said, What caste is the wind? Like, I can get down with this guy. And how he would wear, you know, a little bit of Hindu clothing, a little bit of Muslim clothing, a little bit of traveler's clothing, so that people, when they met him, would be like, what are you? And it would engage an opportunity to teach. I can relate to that. It's like, who's the guy in the turban with the tattoos and the punk rock T-shirt, and what's his deal? And here we go, we're having a conversation. Maybe recovery comes up. Maybe a daily meditation practice comes up, you know. And I've tried to be one or the other. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. It's who I am. It's part of my destiny. I remember, here, I'll tell you two stories before we do the meditation. I remember one, when I was just doing the practice of wearing a turban in public, I had to gather some courage to do that. But I want to... One thing about me is like, if I feel like something's working, I'm going to go all in because I want to be able to tell people about my experience and not just be like, well, I'm not doing that. Or also just have the knowledge of it. I want to experience it. So if it's like, yeah, try wearing a turban as a technology. All right, let's do it. So I was wearing one all the time, wearing a turban, wearing a turban. One day I was like, oh, man, I don't feel like wearing a turban. I just want to be anonymous today. And my daughter asked me to take her to Science World. So we go to Science World, and we get there early. And we're like first in line, ready to get into Science World, and we're waiting, you know. And then these two school buses pull up. And the school buses unload. And like 300 kids lined up behind us, every single one of them wearing a turban. My daughter looks up at me, she goes, where's your turban, dad? <laughs> I'm like, uh. <laughs> right? But then there's another side to that. You know, I went to, this is, now you know how we roll. Like before we came to men's camp, me and Jeremy, went, we went and saw the bands No Effects and Bad Religion play to the great punk bands of our time. And we're rolling around in there, the two you know, big beards, and no turban this time, walking around. And a student who comes up to me, and he used to be like an ogre, super violent history, covered in tattoos, literally from the top of his head down to his toes, and a big man. Like, you, didn't, you do not want to see this person angry. It, like, he's a killer, seriously, literally. And we run into him at the punk rock show and he's, he's looking amazing. Clear eyes, looks like he's lost about 50 pounds. We get into a conversation, he goes, I'm coming up on a year sober. He goes, I've gone vegan. And he said, I wouldn't have done all this stuff if you didn't make these things accessible and I wanted to say thank you. And that, you know, that's amazing. So the lesson is, you know, I'm meant to be both of these things. And there are going to be people who say, you can't do that. That's not allowed. Don't you know what so you know, don't you know that you can't take it on and off? If there's a God or a guru that is so mighty and infinite, you know, let them correct me. You know, because at this point, What I'm interested in is, how can we heal and elevate a world that is in a lot of pain? I'm going to play my role in that, even if it defies the rules. And that's the rebelliousness that I love and believe in. And that's also why I feel connected to Guru Nanak, because he did the same thing. You know, so you got to be you and not worry about what other people say. And the only thing that I've found that is effective enough to give me the strength to do that, when people are like, that's not allowed, is my daily sadhana. The simple formula is, do your sadhana, be you. That's it. What's your sadhana? That is also unique to you. But stay open. Making sense? If we have time, I'll tell you one more story at the end, but let's do the meditation. This meditation I use very, very, very regularly because it brings this state of deep listening. It's not too challenging. Everybody in here, if I can do it, you can do it. The first part of the meditation is you push down your ring and pinky fingers with your thumbs, and then the index and middle finger are together. The elbows are in and you bring the hands near the shoulders, turn the wrists so that the palms face up. So it looks like this. And then you close your eyes. The breath is long and deep. And you look at your chin from inside your skull. From inside your skull with your eyes closed, you look at your chin, your moon center, this emotional center. Breath is long and deep. And you could use the mantra satnam on the long deep inhale and exhale. We talk about satnam being truth is my identity, and that's true. But it's beyond even your personality. Nam, like uh Sri Amrit was talking about, the Nikola Tesla. If you want to know the secret of the universe, study frequency and vibration. Nam is that frequency that is in everything, and that's you. It's in the birds, it's in the space between the stars, it's in the tides of the ocean, it's in the earthquakes, it's in the storms, it's in the sun. It is the great intelligence, the great mystery that unites all of life. That's Nam, that's truth, and that's who you are. Breathe it in. sit solid in this structure that you've created, this container of stillness. Make yourself more subtle. From bones and skin start to become sound and breath. back to the chin concentrate the character and energy of the mantra everywhere at once, a benevolent force that unites all of life, that's you. Become the character and the frequency of your guides that are subtle and everywhere. Breathing satna, gazing to the chin. Steady, listen deeply, become an open door, become a sanctuary. allow the real you to come through beyond thought For the final two minutes of this portion of the meditation recommit refocus sit like a great sage like a bodhisattva, one who gives up their own awakening to serve others no one is left behind like a jivan mukta, one who is already awake, living in a human body sit with that kind of patience, with that kind of knowing keep the mudra and the drishti is the same you're still looking at your chin from where you are now extend the arms up and out at 60 degrees we're not here for long just be steady be the emperor, the sun unwavering be the most relaxed person in the room Challenging, lean into the breath and the mantra. It will carry you. Look at your chin, breathe deep. confident that the infinite will take care of it, keep up. Keep the elbows straight. You can do this. You're a force of nature. Cultivate an attitude of trust. Be trustworthy. Steady. trust you. I know that I'm covered. God, Guru, Self, Universe, Mother Earth, whatever it is for you, I give my life to you. I give my head. I'm open. finger and the middle finger to touch a couple of inches above the crown of your head. Last part. Just three minutes here you can do it and see yourself as the great saint that you were born to be, dark side and light side. with a great radiance that is beyond any kind of dogma or belief systems that is predestined, predetermined. Sit with that kind of knowing, with that kind of glow and breathe, look at your chin. commit. It's gonna get tough. You're gonna face all kinds of challenges. And your breath and the sound will always be there. And these techniques will work 100% guaranteed. Only one catch. You have to do them. Stay steady. Breathe. Lean into Satnam. Just a minute to go. Yourself, I love you. I love you. I love you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Become the energy and frequency of those words, the character of those words. Beautiful. Keep the arms up. Inhale deeply. Hold the breath. Squeeze the root lock. Expand. Keep the posture, breathe powerfully out the mouth. Inhale again. Hold the breath, distribute the energy from the tips of your toes to the ends of your hairs. Keep the posture, breathe out the mouth. Last one, inhale. Hold, squeeze. exhale, relax. Place your hands down and just observe. And make a commitment, make an agreement with yourself about one thing that you're gonna do to keep you connected to Dharma when you leave this place. It can be the simplest thing. I'm gonna do the meditation for five minutes a day. It could be a big thing. I'm gonna talk to somebody about something that I've been holding back for a long time. Whatever it is, one thing. Make a commitment, make an agreement. Exhale, Satnam. So I'll tell you this short little story before we close. It's a really meaningful story in my life. And it came from a sage named Ramakrishna. You've probably heard of him before. People thought he was nuts. Actually, Guru Singh said to me once, he said, if Nanak lived in today's times, they would have him committed. You know, That's true. You know, that's the times that we live in. Somebody thinks a little differently, oh, we've got to do something about that. But Ramakrishna told this story that is so dear to my heart. And the story goes like this. There's a yogi that goes to a town in India, and there's a vicious cobra and he's terrorizing the people in the town. They can't go even to this one part of the woods because he's so vicious. And this yogi comes to visit the town, very masterful practitioner. And they tell him about this cobra. He says, let me see what I can do. And he goes down and he spends some time with the cobra. And he stays there for quite some time. And he teaches him about yoga. And then he comes back, tells the people, cobra won't be a problem. And it's true, cobra didn't bother anybody. Then one day, some little boys are walking by the path and they see the cobra on the rock. And they get you know, kind of cautious, but they notice that it's not raising up its hood or anything, so they go closer. And then they go closer, and it still doesn't react. So they pick the cobra up by its tail and they swing it around above their head and then they smash it into the rocks. Nearly kills the cobra. Then they leave and the cobra just barely survives, you know, eating scraps out of the side of the ditch. Some time passes and the yogi returns to the town to see the student. And he sees this emaciated cobra that was once a great snake. And he goes, what happened to you? And the cobra says, well, you taught me all about yoga. And so I became, you know, very peaceful. But these people came, these kids came and smashed me into the rocks. And the yogi says, I taught you about yoga, but I never told you to stop being a snake. You understand? That's a big lesson for me in my life. There are aspects about me that aren't meant to be pushed aside in the name of living perpetually in the light. The rebelliousness, the grit that I have from a life of hardship is the greatest blessing that there is in my life. I couldn't do what I do without that. And I try and push that down. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's a way to work with it. There's a way to move it. There's a way to channel it. And in my experience, there are many paths, but in my experience, this technology is incredibly effective. But you have to be mindful that you don't go too far off in either direction. Because life is filled with suk and duk, right? Sweetness and pain. That's inevitable. Put your hand up if you never felt pain. It doesn't exist. Put your hand up if you never felt pleasure. It doesn't exist. Right? So they're coming no matter what. It's guaranteed. But if you could do a practice that would connect you to a neutral experience, and when we say neutral, it doesn't mean I don't care. The neutrality is there's a bliss that's available within the meditative mind and it's present all the time. It's present in pain and it's present in sweetness. That's the neutrality. That's when the 10th master, Guru Gobind Singh, talks about the sage sitting in reality being like a potter's wheel, flying off angels and devils in all directions. The sage is unaffected by both. doesn't mean that the sage ignores them. You see yourself in it. That's the neutral bliss. And that's what we need in this time. Sit tall, rub your hands together. Place the hands in prayer at the heart. We'll close with our uh, beautiful friend Simrit. She's been a great source of inspiration and friendship in my life. And man, I love this version of this song. So if you know it, I know you do. Lift your voice and let's sing with this beautiful long-time son.
2: Is it coming through out there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. May the long-time sun shine upon you. All love surround you and the pure light within you. Guide your way on. May the long time sun shine upon you. All love surround you and the pure light within you. Guide your way on. May the long time sun shine upon you. love surround you and the pure light within you guide your way